0: Now, here's where we left off, and I'm going to warn you, I may lose my voice at some point today, and may pass out up here at some point today. It's been one of those weeks. Everybody, you ever have one of those weeks, and you just put one foot in front of the other? That's me. I don't know what's happened to me. Uh, we've got, I don't know if it's allergies or what going through the house, but we are. I am barely making it this week. But I want to share this with you, and so I hope, I hope you'll pray for me while I'm doing this, because uh, this part of David's life This is some of the most crucial stuff for how God wants to work in your life. Now, when we start getting into David as king, that's where some of us begin to to check out. Uh, Quite honestly, because you and I are not royalty. Uh, You and I do not preside over a big palace. We don't have more wealth than we know what to do with. You know, we are not some great, powerful group of people and so some of us, when we start looking at David's challenges, we kind of check out because he's he's at a level of life that you and I are likely never to experience. But where he is now, we completely can relate to what David is going through. And so far, we have seen David go from the heights of success to falling into the pits of despair. And he is right now still in those that pit of despair. And so where we have followed him so far is... David was a shepherd boy. Saul, who was the first king, he has lost his relationship with God, and God has said, I'm going to remove the kingship, not just from you, but it will not pass on to your family, which is customary. And so he has anointed David, but he has not yet told David when the moment's going to be that he takes over. And so word begins to spread, and what we see is that God is with David repeatedly. And when God is with us, Then all of a sudden, life begins to take off. It's it's amazing what happens when he empowers us. And so, as we look at his life, David begins to be successful in everything that he does. And he is all of a sudden building a better reputation than Saul. Saul gets angry. Saul starts chasing after David. David starts running for his life. Saul goes completely berserk. I mean, he tries to kill David. He tries to kill his own son, Jonathan. He rants, he's ranting and raving about, why are you people not helping me? And David is just trying to follow God. And what we have seen in David's life, one of the reasons that I love David's story, is because he is a man who made many mistakes, but was still said to be a man after God's own heart. So if you're in this room and you have made mistakes in your life, you're in good company. And it does not mean that you cannot still be a person after God's own heart yourself. So last week, we looked at really a pivotal moment for David that is preparing him for when he's eventually going to be king. You remember he got scared, he ran to Samuel, he ran to another prophet, and basically they weren't a whole lot of help for him. They gave him some encouragement and they gave him some some wise words. Uh, they gave him some food to eat. And then Saul found out, and while he wouldn't touch Samuel because of his fame, he would touch the others that had helped them, and he killed them. David has run for his life. He's acting like he's a homeless guy. He, he's thrown his hair out. He's spitting all over himself. He just looks like he's crazy, so no one will know who he is. He's running for his life, runs to a cave, and this is what we talked about last, last week runs to a cave, and all of a sudden, while he's trying to hide, God uses his brokenness and brings around him all of these other broken people. People who are in debt, people who have been impressed, people who are afraid, and they all seek him out. And David, we have this moment where David kind of takes over, and he begins to welcome in and take them on and care for them. When we left his story, When we left his story, David felt called to go out and help an area that was being oppressed by the Philistines. He took his ragtag group of people out, and he rescued them from their clutches. Now, here's where we pick him up today. We're going to start with 1 Samuel 24, but we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Samuel 25 and then 26. In 1 Samuel 24, that's actually where we were last week, David is in a cave. Saul is searching for him. This is immediately after they come to the aid of this settlement. Saul is searching for him, and we've talked about this many, weeks, many times before, so I'm not going to do it again today. But when he goes into the cave and he's hiding from Saul, Saul comes hunting for him. Now, Saul has incredibly bad luck. And if you read any scripture at all, you realize that there really is no bad luck. There's just God working in different ways. And just as God has a tendency to cause David to excel, Saul begins to make mistake after mistake after mistake. He just begins to trip up over himself because he has completely at this point ignored God. He is afraid because he's trying to hold on to what he has. And he has at this point in his life no trust and no hope in God himself. So Saul, as he's chasing after David, decides he's got to take a bathroom break. He goes up into the cave. It just happens to be where David and all his men are hiding. And if you'll remember the story, this is the place that David comes up. He cuts off the tassel off of his prayer shawl and a statement that says, you are unclean before God. I could have killed you, but I won't. And so after Saul finally leaves, he doesn't even recognize what David has done. And David, in that moment, he demonstrates his integrity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And in that moment, as Saul walks out, David walks out to the opening of the cave and he shouts out to Saul and he says, Saul, I could have killed you. I could have taken your life, but your life is not mine to take. I will never harm a hair on your head, nor will I ever harm the hair on any of your family's head. (coughs) Excuse me. So that's 1 Samuel 24. When we open in in, uh, chapter 25, we open to an incredible moment where Samuel, who has been kind of the overarching narrator of the story, we realize that Samuel has died. And whenever you read that, you may be a little bit troubled, wondering, okay, how we have 1 Samuel. We're only to chapter 25. There's more in the book. And then there's a second Samuel, and now Samuel's dead. How does that happen? And what we believe is that Samuel wrote most of this, but he had a little bit of help from some of the other uh, prophets, notably Nathan being one that we're going to see his story a little bit later and how it intersects with the story of David. Samuel dies, and then I want you to look at what happens in the life of David. This is important because this is going to set us up to understand his story a little bit better later. Chapter 25 verse 1 says, then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Moen whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had three thousand sheep. That's a lot of sheep. A thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. <coughs> Excuse me. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Now, this has happened right after David's experience with Saul in the cave. He has a lot of people that are with him. They're all hurting. They've all been broken. They all need help. David is looking after them, and he sends down to this guy and says, I I need your help. Now, Nabal, if you read through, we're not going to read through all of this, but if you read through the story, something amazing happens. Nabal is a jerk. (laughs) You can write that in your notes if you want to. Nabal is a jerk. And he says, how do I know who you are? Why should I help you? And he shuns David's help. Now, put yourself in David's shoes. David is trying to help all of these people. And he's just been shunned by this guy who has more than enough, not only for himself, but anybody else that could help. He's wanting to feed them. What would you do? If you read through the story, what you're going to find is David goes to all the men in his group, and he says, get your swords on, guys. We're going to go take care of Nabal. We're all going to be eating tonight. And in this story, you will find, if you're a student at all of David's life, that this is how David meets his next wife, Abigail. And in the story, Abigail hears what her jerk of a husband does, because you think she knows? I'm sure she knows what he's like. She goes and she apologizes. She says to David, David, I here, take this offering from me. And she brings food and all kinds of supplies for the men. You know, forgive me. Let me take the punishment for what my husband has done. Now, this is one of the stories that you read, and you just want you to just, just kind of say, way to go, God. Because an amazing thing happens after she does this. David forgives her. And then when she comes back home, Nabal is drunk. He's been partying all night. And she decides, I'm not going to tell Nabal what I've done. I've taken all this food. I've taken all these supplies. And I've given them to the man that he didn't want to have anything to do with. And it's an amazing thing that happens. It says that Nabal, once he heard her words, became like a stone. Now, don't really know what happened to him. It's almost like he had a stroke. In that moment, he just kind of freezes. And in a few days, he's going to die, which makes Abigail available. And she eventually goes back, and David takes her as his wife. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because Abigail's going to pop up into the picture a little bit later, and I want you to know how she enters the story. One of the things that David says in that moment is he says, thank you for keeping my hand from doing something that was wrong. Now, had he gone and killed Nabal, he would himself have been unclean. He was not justified to go and take Nabal's life, though that's what he was getting ready to do. And yet her act of humility and asking for forgiveness curbs his anger and keeps him on the path. Now, if you're someone who sometimes gets angry and you act in such a way that you regret later, anybody, anybody, nobody's going to admit it. Okay, a couple, three of you, all right, thank you for admitting it. Four of you, you can take heart that so did David. But in that moment, he was spared by the act of Abigail, all right? Now, next chapter, verse 26 we just, I just told you the story about the cave. I hope if you haven't heard that story, you could find it. You can read um, 1 Samuel 24 later. Um, but David finds himself in a very similar position, and this is where I want you to see uh, the <coughs> crucial area of his character that I believe is one of the reasons he was a man after God's own heart. Chapter 26, verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakaliah, which is east of Jeshamun? Excuse me. So Saul rose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, and 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. An army of 3,000 coming after David and his little ragtag group of broken people. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hacaliah, or Hekelah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the, com- the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Now, here's a few things that I want you to know. If you want to follow on U version, most of this is on U version as well. The first thing I want you to know, which you should already know if you've been following this story, is that Saul is not a man of integrity. Saul is not a man of integrity. Saul has repeatedly said, I will not hurt David. He has told his daughter Micah, which, by the way, one thing I forgot to tell you. Right after that event where he takes Abigail as his wife, Saul takes Micah back or sometime in that period and gives Micah to somebody else to be married. So we've got some crazy family dynamics. We're going to address that later. We're not going to address all that today, but that also happened. But in this moment, Saul has tried to kill David repeatedly. He sent people to kill David, and they have been unsuccessful. He has on multiple occasions taken an army to go kill him, and then he will promise Micah, he will promise Jonathan, he will promise David, and he will promise others, I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to do anything. Nobody trusts Saul, and nobody respects Saul at this moment. If you'll remember last week, he even came to the moment where Saul was so angry at the priests who had helped David that he commanded his men, who, cap, who David had been the captain of their captain, to go kill all those priests, and they would not do it. And he had to find a non-Jew to go kill the priests. They would not even follow his instructions. Saul is falling apart, and he is running out of fear, and he is trying to destroy the one person he believes can take away everything that he has. Saul is not a man of integrity. Now, let me just ask you this, and you can just throw out some words. When I say the word integrity, what does that mean to you? Just throw some stuff out. Character? Honest? Loyal? Trustworthy? Upright? Okay, those are all good descriptions of integrity. Now, interestingly enough, even though some of your Bibles will translate words in the New Testament as integrity, we don't really see a dedicated word about what integrity is in the New Testament, although I'm going to read some verses to you at the end here that do use that word in the New Testament. We do often <coughs> excuse me, see it in the Old Testament. We often see the word integrity used in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the word integrity literally means whole, integrated, complete, upright, or sound. So the idea of integrity is more than just following some kind of moral code, even though that's the way many of us see it. It's a person of integrity. They're going to follow some kind of code then they're going to follow it consistently. And and while we do certainly see it used in that way in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it's talking more about perfection. And whenever we see perfection in the Old Testament, we're not talking about without flaw. We're talking about being whole. So a person who has integrity is a person who is acting whole. A person who is integrated, which interestingly enough, if you are fractured within your life, you would be disintegrated or disintegrated. So that word literally means that you are not whole, coming from the same word as integrity. Now, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because integrity is more than just doing the right thing. Integrity is a state of being within your life. Now, the reality is that a lot of us struggle with integrity. Now, you may think, well, I don't struggle with integrity. I do what I say that I'm going to do. I'm the same person here and everywhere else. That's not what I mean. A lot of us struggle with integrity because a lot of us struggle with feeling whole. You know, I shared last week that God will often break us, and when he breaks us, it's often to open our eyes to the brokenness of others so that we can help them. See, a lot of us struggle because we are fractured in all of the different aspects of our lives. When I go to work, I'm one person. When I go home, I'm a different person. When I come to church, I'm a different person. When I'm prostrate before God, praying, crying out for him, I'm another person. See, as we begin to fracture ourselves out, which is the way our society works then what begins to happen are little pieces of us begin to be disintegrated. And we begin to feel even within ourselves a brokenness like we ourselves are dissolving away. Because there's a state of being, of being whole. There's a state of being and when you get up in the morning, you don't have to think about, okay, where am I today and how do I need to act today? Sometimes when I look on... on uh, Social media posts, you know, I'll, I'll see someone's post and on one they'll be praising Jesus with pictures of hands up and all that. And the next thing, they're, t- they're calling their neighbor, you know, they got four stars and three other symbols in whatever word they're calling their neighbor because they're so mad at them. That would be disintegrated. Because those two people cannot exist as a whole. They're two different fractions of who you are. Fractures of who you are. Saul is fractured. Saul is fractured because Saul, on the one hand, was leading this nation and did many great things for this nation. He began following God intently. What we found, Saul's greatest problem, which is a problem for many people today, was not greed. His problem was insecurity. And so when Saul was insecure, he began to do things to make him more secure. I need more wealth, I need more land. If you'll remember, the reason that Saul lost the kingship was because God said, I want you to go and conquer these people and I want you to destroy everything as a testament that I will care for my nation. And Saul decided, we'll destroy most everything, but the best of their stuff, let's keep because we can fill our own coffers with that stuff. And God said, because you have not obeyed me, I am going to take the kingdom away from you. And that is what began David's running, okay? Saul is not a man of integrity. Zig Ziglar, I don't know, some of you, do you know, does everybody know who Zig Ziglar is? Every now and then I have to remind myself that I'm getting old. And Zig Ziglar was a huge, uh, he was a very... um, well-spoken Christian but also a, a very successful businessman and he would go and speak about business as much as he would speak about his faith this is what he said about integrity he said with integrity you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide with integrity you will do the right, right thing so that you will have no guilt now, the reason I read that to you is because I believe that this is central to the, the, the journey of any follower of Jesus. And I struggle with this within my own life. The desire to be whole. Now, the reason that journey is the way it is, is there's lots of reasons the way journey is what it is. But the, one of the things that we wanted to be was we wanted to be a place where you could be whole. Now, to be whole means that you're probably not going to look as good as someone down the street. Because to be whole means that we have to admit our weakness as well as our strength. We have to admit our faults as well as our successes. Now, what we are really good at in the church is talking about our successes and our strengths, not so much our weaknesses and our faults. So if you are going to be an integrated, whole person before God, you have to be the same person in every place of your life in which you live. That means you will never be as good as some some of your Pinterest friends, right? Who their life is perfect, and let's be honest, they totally Googled those images of whatever they baked and made them as their own. They didn't bake that. Come on, be honest. You're never going to be as good as some of your Pinterest friends, You're never going to be as bad as some of your friends you grew up with, you know. I mean, they're saying that about you too. But, you know, you say that about them. But you're going to be whole. This is who I authentically am. This is my real being. And so whenever we deal with our sin, whenever we repent, we don't repent because, well, God might get mad at me and throw a meteor at me. I mean, it. but we do it because we are seeking wholeness. And we don't want to have to have anything to hide that fractures us. That is integrity. Now, see, it's possible to have integrity and not follow God under this definition. Now, historically, we have understood integrity to mean that you have a higher ideal that you're going to follow. Saul's higher ideal was his own personal success. David's higher ideal was, I am going to follow God. Anne Rand, who some of you may know as as an author and as a philosopher in many different ways, what her belief was, was that you are your most authentic, whole self full of integrity in the moments that you are looking after your own personal happiness. She believes what many in our society believes, and that the only way for you to be whole is for you to be completely focused on your own happiness. And yet we know by people who are completely absorbed by pursuing their own happiness that they are not whole. Sometimes they're the most fractured of the bunch. But that is the way the world sees it. Historically, we have believed that integrity entails a higher calling beyond our own personal pursuits. Saul was not a man of integrity, okay? I just gave you, I just gave you half my sermon, and we've only gone through the first few verses, all right? It's good because I'm almost out of time. First Samuel 26, verse 6, this, this story continues. Then David came to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruai, who will go down with me and into the camp of Saul. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. Now, this, if you'll remember, Saul's spear was a big deal. Saul took it everywhere he went. It was a symbol of his authority and kingship. It was a symbol of his prowess in battle, even though he's getting older and less prowessy—I I don't know what the right word is there. He still takes it with him, and he wants everybody to see it. It's the same reason some of our profile pictures are still 20 years old, and we don't change them. That's not really who I am anymore, but I want, to th- I want everybody to think that's who I am. And so he's stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, if we were to read the story in the cave, that's exactly what his men said to him when he went in there to use the bathroom, and they're hiding right around the next corner. God's given you the enemy into your hand. You can end this now. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. In other words, I'll get it done in one one swoop. But David said to, to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that's at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Now what we see in this story, there's a few lessons we see, and I want to give those to you real quickly. But one of the things we see is that David committed himself to follow God with integrity. Now, this is why we find that integrity is not easy to have. It's not easy to keep. But once you have it, you don't want to lose it. Because it brings, into, brings you into a, a, a lifestyle of well-being that is somehow transcendent from whatever circumstances you're dealing with. He is a man of integrity, and he's falling after something that is better. Now, these are some of the lessons just from those few verses that I want you to seek. Number one, when it comes to integrity, your friend's advice is not better than God's instructions. I want you to let that soak in. Your friend's advice is not better than God's instructions. Now, it's very easy to give our friends, and we're going to talk about friends later in David's life as well, it is easy to give our friends access to us and influence over us that is not healthy. And whenever we let someone else try to speak truth into us that goes against what God's word says, then it is going to lead us to a disintegration. Disintegrity. Because we are now fractured, we're listening to someone other than God. His advice, go kill him. Now, David knows that if he goes and kills Saul at this moment, or if he lets his friend kill Saul in this moment, he knows a few things. Number one, he's unclean. Number two, he has disobeyed God. Number three, he's going to, be, uh, he's going to have the exact same fate that Saul had, because that's what Saul did. It got him in trouble. And number four, he himself would be killed assassinated at some point because that's what happens if you gain power by assassinating someone else the odds are very high that someone will assassinate you to get your power he knew all of these things and yet what he could be saying is what is so easy is i can end this i have been running we have been scared i am anointed king i can move kill him now i can move into the castle tomorrow And yet he said no, because there is something greater than overcoming your obstacles, and that is being whole before God. Your friend's advice is not better than God's instructions. Number two, you cannot rush God's timeline and stay in God's plan. If we're going to embrace that lesson, then that's going to lead us to living lives of patience. And I don't know about you, I don't want to live a life of patience. I want everything to happen right now, right when I want it to happen. I don't want to wait. There are times that God will say, Mark, this is what I am doing. And I will say, well, get around to it. And then he throws a meteor at me, but not really. He hasn't hit me yet. You can't rush God's timeline and stay in God's plan. Incidentally, my has a has around to it. Have any of you seen around to it? It's a little round piece of wood, and it says uh, to it on it. And so if somebody says they're going to get around to it, then you can hand it to them. There you go. So go go do it. Um, Anyways, you cannot rush God's timeline and stay in God's plan. Number three, this is where the rubber meets the road for you if you're going to follow Christ. Number three, your greatest acts of integrity will rarely be seen by anyone. And this is what makes integrity about wholeness. Because the ways that we're most fractured in life are the ways in which we are trying to prove to others we are somebody we are not. That is why social media is so popular. I can present in this place a version of me that I know is not true, but they don't know it's not true. I can put every happy picture of our family and not tell anybody that we ever fight. I can put this happy picture of me at work and not tell anybody I'm scared to death I'm going to get fired every time I go in there. I I can put all these wonderful things that are going on in my life. I can put this picture of this perfect cake on my social media account and not tell anybody that I am trying my best not to take my own life. We can fracture ourselves. That's why social media is so popular. I can present a version of myself that is not true. And what most people are going to do, and what you have done, if you are not doing it now, is you have tried to live a life that impresses others by denying the deep, dark things that go on within your own heart. And when you try to present yourself in a way that is not true and it is not real, that is what fractures us. That is why, if we're going to be honest before God, we will never look like the perfect Christians that we think we're supposed to be, but we'll also never look like the total degenerate jerk that we know as well, although at times we probably still are because we're fallen, broken people. We're going to be more authentic. We're not going to be the best. We're not going to be the worst. We're going to be true and honest. That is the pursuit of David's life. And that is the pursuit that I hope you will have in your life. But those greatest battles of remaining true to who you truly are, most of them are going to happen when no one's watching. Because it's when no one's watching that we feel the most free to do what we want the most. Nobody's watching. I've got my computer open. No one's around. No one's monitoring this account. Let's just pull up a few sites on here that I know I shouldn't look at. No one's looking. Now, you wouldn't come into church and whip out your tablet and go to your favorite porn site in the middle of church, would you? I'm sure somebody's done it, but you probably wouldn't do that. But when you're at home, The kids are in bed and nobody's watching? That might be another story. Now sometimes when we are with other people, when we're in their face, we let them know we love them and they are wonderful and we think they are great. But when we're alone or when our little group of friends over here and we're really honest about how we feel about somebody, then we begin to spew and tear them down. And we don't want them to know how we really feel. That is a fracturing of who you were supposed to be. And one of the things that the early Jews knew, one of the the things that we see very well in the Old Testament is that God is seeking for us to be whole, not to be perfect in the sense that we have no faults. Your greatest acts of integrity will rarely be seen by anyone the things i wrote down this week was that your every, your every action done in secret builds the foundation of the life that you will live. It's the things that you do in secret that determine who you are, not the things that you do when everyone is watching. Living in integrity <clears throat> means that we believe that every action is a spiritual statement. Every action is a spiritual statement, even if no one is around to see it. Because we know there's nowhere we can go that we get away from God. God can see it all. Every action you make, every decision you make, how you spend your money, how you treat people. What happens when the cashier just accidentally didn't swipe that pack of steaks and they stuck it in your bag and you noticed Do you go back and swipe it? Oh, and I need to pay for that. Even those things when no one's watching, those are the moments that our integrity is formed because we believe that every action we do has a spiritual significance attached to it no matter how small it is because it's about pursuing wholeness. C.S. Lewis says this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, Every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. In other words, when we begin to believe that every decision is not a spiritual statement, we begin to lose ground because that's exactly how Satan wants us to see it. Everything is spiritual. And God sees it, and it forms who you are as a person. One of the reasons this is important is because your integrity demonstrates who you really are and not who you pretend to be. You've probably gotten that by now. All right, let's finish this section of uh, 1 Samuel 26. Verse 13. This is what happens at the end of the story. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? Just rubbing it in a bit. For one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your lord the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? All of a sudden, he's his son. And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my lord, the king, hear the words of this servant. By the way, this is now the second time David has made it very clear he could have killed him and he did not. This is The second time. Now, therefore, let, the, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, if he's listening to his buddies, but if it is men, oh, I've lost my place. May they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of this, driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hurts a partridge in the mountains. I'm of no consequence to you. He's just trying to say over and over again. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Did you believe him at this point? I wouldn't believe him. "'Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. "'Behold, I have acted foolishly "'and have made a great mistake.' "'And David answered and said, "'Here is the spear, O king. "'Let one of the young men come over and take it.'" In other words, I'm not coming down there. "'The Lord rewards every man "'for his righteousness and his faithfulness. "'For the Lord gave you into my hand today, "'and I would not put out my hand "'against the Lord's anointed. "'Behold, as your life was precious "'this day in my sight,' So may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now we are coming to the end of David running from Saul. But we see a great difference in these two men. We see one who has everything and one who has nothing. We have one who is running from fear. He's trying not to lose anything that he has. We have one who is saying, I'm going to follow God no matter what. Saul lived in fear because he failed to pursue integrity. If you leave anything with anything today, it would be pursue integrity. Be authentic in who you are before Christ. In truth, if you do that, you will not always get ahead by walking in integrity. You won't always get ahead. You'll get criticized. Sometimes you'll not be as profitable. Sometimes you'll miss out on a deal. Sometimes people will ignore you. That's the way our world works. It is possible that you won't get ahead if you choose this path. But you can know that you will always please God And when you walk in His ways, you will be solidified in His plan when you do. We're pursuing something greater, something better. Remember, in the Old Testament, integrity is to be whole, integrated, complete, upright, or sound. That's what it looks like to be a person of integrity. It doesn't mean you always do everything right. It doesn't mean you always have the right answer. But you are always pursuing the right thing, you are pursuing wholeness, and in scripture, the only way to be whole is to be reconciled to God and to follow his ways that 's why I would love to see us stop calling ourselves Christians and return to what we were called in the very beginning when Christ ascended to heaven, and that would be followers of the way that is the way we were always referred to it 's We took on the mantle of Christians, and when it was spoken first about us, it was spoken in ridicule. We were all little Christs, and we took that as a badge of honor, which I can see why, but whenever we say that, we ignore the way that the early apostles understood this life that you and I are trying to live, which is we are following a way, a way that is different than the rest of the world. A way that doesn't give us everything we want and at times costs us greatly, but when following the way, it leads us to wholeness. And when you are whole, you will not want to give that up. There is a well-being, there is a shalom there that says life is good. Happiness is no longer a pursuit, fulfillment is a reality. And it is not dependent on how much money is in your wallet, how nice your house is, how good your job is, or how often you get to travel. Wholeness and fulfillment comes because you are at peace and you are united with God. That is our pursuit. This is what I want to close with. I just want to, I'm just going to read real quickly some places in Scripture that reference this outside of what we have just talked about. Psalm 41, 11, and 12 says, By know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Proverbs four twenty five through 27. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Proverbs ten nine says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed, which is a great fear for most people because they don't want to be found out who they really are. Proverbs eleven three, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs twenty one three, the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. You're going to hear a lot more about that coming up micah uh, we're gonna we're gonna start talking about micah here in a few weeks and you're gonna hear a lot more about that second corinthians eight let's jump to the new testament this is paul talking about how he's trying to live his life verse, chapter 8 verse 21 for we are taking pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the lord but also in the eyes of man we are trying to be whole and integrated galatians 5 25 talking about the fruit of the spirit since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves when we separate how we act, and who we are. We are deceiving ourselves, is what James says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, remember, perfect means wholeness, into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, He will be blessed in his doing. Incidentally, I find it fascinating that Saul says in his parting remarks after this event, you will be blessed. You will succeed in everything. No duh. I mean, we already see that happening, Saul. Way to jump on the bandwagon. And that could have been you, is what Saul needed to hear from his buddies. That could have been you. But you chose yourself over God. Now, I want to tell you something, and I'm going to jump ahead to another sermon, but I'm done for today, so if you're checking out on me, don't check out. A lot of us don't want to have the kinds of friends that walk up and say, Saul, you are being a jerk. You have ruined everything in your life. If you would be more like him, God would bless and be active in your life, and you could have all of the things that he's experiencing Now, we live in such a world that we want people to come around us and say, Mark, you are just so good at everything. You're so good at it. I love people like that in my life. I walk out. It's the worst sermon I've ever preached. I don't know if Ms. Jean's here today, but she tells me after every week, she says, Mark, that is just the best sermon. It can't be the best sermon because she says it every time I see her, but I got to tell you, it makes me feel so good. Some of our best friends are the ones who come up and say, if you would just act more like him, you would have what he has, quit being a jerk. And sometimes those are our best friends, but those are the first people we shun because we are committed to a life of disintegration. Don't bring to my eyes who I really am. Just bolster who I want to think that I am. And in that brokenness, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find yourself exhausted. You will find yourself in despair and depression. But instead, we have the opportunity to pursue wholeness. Last thing, and then we're going to sing one more song and go. How you live your life in secret determines who you are and how active God will be in your life. Let that sink in. How you live your life in secret determines who you are and how active God will be in your life. Now, if you're like me, there are days I'm really good at this and I'm ready to get up here and tell you all how to do it all right. But most other days, I'm not real good at this. And I find myself constantly seeking after God, saying, Help me to be better. Now, one thing that you have that David did not have. David did not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in his life, and the Holy Spirit enabled him to do many things. But he did not have the Holy Spirit the way you can have the Holy Spirit because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He said, I'm leaving you, but I'm sending another helper that's going to help you that's going to encourage you, that's going to teach you, that's going to open up God's word to you, that's going to pray for you when you need it, that's going to be there constantly as an ever-present helper within your life. You have that now. And there are moments that I simply pray, God, help me to overcome the need to look like someone I'm not and help me to be filled with your spirit and to live the life that you've called me to. In that pursuit, we find wholeness. And when we find wholeness, we will find the shackles of this world begin to fall away. We begin to live in joy and freedom. I pray that you would seek that as I do as well. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the amazing ways you have worked in our lives through your Spirit. I thank you for the great examples in your Word that we can learn from and the examples of people that we can walk through this life with. I pray that we would encourage each other and lead us to be a people of wholeness, that we would be a people of integrity, that we would in our secret places in life, we would be the same people that we are whenever we are in public. I pray that you would help us to see our lives through your eyes and that we would be able to walk consistently in your ways. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.